Kia ora koutou. I'm Philippa Tolley and welcome to Insight. This week, what progress is being made among New Zealand farmers to reduce their contribution to climate change? New Zealand is unusual among developed countries in that half of our greenhouse gas emissions come from agriculture. A recent draft report by the Productivity Commission has called for agriculture to be entered into the emissions trading scheme as one of the changes that needs to happen if New Zealand wants to be carbon neutral by 2050. In this week's Insight, Veronica Maduna investigates what farmers can do to reduce their carbon footprint and finds that attitudes have changed since the idea of a carbon price on agriculture was first raised more than a decade ago. We're the only ones paying any tax, aren't we? You know, um, uh, how long can it go on for? We're in the poo. It's been 15 years since farmers up and down the country took to the streets and former National MP Shane Ardern, a cousin of the Prime Minister, drove a tractor up Parliament steps in protest over a proposed agricultural emissions levy which quickly became known as the fart tax. The heads of the feds this time have gone too far. The controversy even inspired some country music on both sides of the argument. Signs shout of farts that the government wants to tax, but these signs are all bulldust and well behind. The idea was eventually scrapped, but the dilemma of how New Zealand should deal with agricultural greenhouse gas emissions hasn't gone away. Now the Productivity Commission has put the issue back on the agenda in a report that explores what New Zealand should do to move to a low-emissions economy and the goal of becoming carbon neutral by 2050. The Commission makes recommendations across all sectors and it identifies three key necessary changes. Electrification of transport, an expansion of forestry and changes to agricultural production. The Productivity Commission Chair Murray Shervin says it's clear that farmers will have to do their part to bring agricultural emissions down. If we're going to get to net zero, we can't not deal with that. The pathway through that is fairly complex. The solutions are not that obvious, but there are things that can happen, and some of them involve just better management practice on farm. Some of them involve changes of land use, and in particular, to some degree, shifts into horticulture, which is low-emitting, but even more so, shifts uh, of land into more afforestation, greater forestry, both uh, uh, native forests and, and plantation forests, and that needs to happen on scale. And even if it does happen on scale, it's only a temporary solution. It buys us 30 or 40 years. We have to find real solutions to the greenhouse gas emissions that we have. The Commission explored different scenarios, taking into account some of the emission-inhibiting technologies that are under development now, and it has come up with an outlook for the primary production sector. With current real and relative prices, dairying holds up. Now, this also assumes that the rest of the world is is making progress towards uh, lower carbon future as well, so those international competitive uh, forces matter. But dairying holds up because it's uh, relatively profitable uh, compared to other land uses. Sheep and beef goes backwards uh, in these models. Again, it's, it's a question of relative profitability. And with higher carbon prices, of course, forestry becomes uh, more attractive, so you see more trees planted, and it largely goes on to land which is currently used for sheep and beef. So the land use changes which come out of this modelling are mostly dairying relatively flat, some increase in horticulture. 
uh, a downturn in sheep and beef land and a doubling of the forestry estate. According to the latest greenhouse gas inventory published earlier this year, New Zealand's total emissions from all sectors have increased by almost 20% since 1990. Forests have offset nearly a third. Without them, the rise in emissions would have been even more significant. But half of our emissions come from agriculture, mostly in the form of methane from belching sheep and cows and nitrous oxide from effluent and synthetic fertiliser. Both are powerful greenhouse gases. But there are few straightforward mitigation options. This is what we're looking at now. More forest planting will help offset more future emissions, but it's a temporary solution because there's a limit to the land area that can be planted. For agriculture, hope is being pinned on several more technical solutions. And I'm about to find out about a flock of low greenhouse gas emitting sheep. It's a really, really simple box, an aluminium box. And the idea is that we pop the sheep in just for an hour, or just under an hour. And we measure methane, carbon dioxide and oxygen as it's released from the chamber. Ten or twelve of these could be put on a trailer and driven around the countryside. I'm just south of Dunedin on a research farm where egg research scientists breed sheep that naturally produce less methane. The ewes don't look or act differently, but preliminary results suggest that they grow more wool and leaner meat while at the same time burping less of the potent greenhouse gas. Soon, farmers and breeders will be able to select for the low methane production trade, just as they already do for a number of other breeding characteristics in livestock. Suzanne Rowe is a senior scientist with Ag Research in Invermay. These are animals from the uh, central progeny test. They are currently being measured for their methane emission. What we're doing is we are comparing them and the DNA profiles that we get from these sheep with the low emission selection lines that we currently have on our uh, Woodlands farm in Invercargill. And the idea is that we're looking to see how well we can predict methane in these sheep. They're going to become our training set, so they become a resource that when we can predict methane well in these sheep using uh, genomic technology, then we can take that out further and further to uh, commercial farms around New Zealand. The Invermay Agricultural Centre near Mosgiel in Otago specialises in research into genomics and animal reproduction. These lines are kept in exactly the same conditions. They have the same background. They were screened from the same flocks. At the moment, we've gotten to the stage where there is no crossover. Every single sheep in the high line is higher than every single sheep in the low line. And we know that's genetic, and we know it gets passed on from one generation to the next, and has absolutely nothing to do with management. From what you told me so far, a low-emitting ewe should make economic sense... She should. So we're really tentative about this. We have 100 high-emitting ewes and 100 low-emitting ewes. And what we're seeing with those two flocks is that the difference in the dual purpose index is actually at around about $10 per ewe. So it looks at the moment as though the low-emitting flock are considerably more profitable than the high-emitting flock. But we only use four rams per year. So what we're doing is measuring many more animals in many more flocks and taking it out much wider and seeing if those results stack up. We now are at the stage 
where some of those low-emitting animals are going to be made available to elite breeders who, between them, have around about 4% of the national flock. Harry Clark is the director of the New Zealand Agricultural Greenhouse Gas Research Centre in Palmerston North. Here, scientists work on a range of projects, from selective breeding genetics to chemical inhibitors that throttle methane production in the rumen, the first stomach of cut-chewing animals such as sheep and cattle. One of these inhibitors, developed by a Dutch company, could reduce methane production by up to 30% in the right farming conditions. It could become available as early as next year. The one I think that is perhaps going to come on the market first, there's a company, DSM, who are a nutritional products company, have developed a methane inhibitor. It's been developed really for northern hemisphere systems where the animals are confined or fed this product every day. Uh, and it has been shown to be reducing methane by about 30%. The problem from a New Zealand perspective is that we don't have the opportunity to feed it in every mouthful of feed. In the dairy sector, at least you see the animal in the milking season, you could possibly feed it twice a day. But across the broad sector, it couldn't be fed with every mouthful of feed. So you wouldn't get the 30% reduction. It would be considerably less. There is a New Zealand programme, and that is really try to focus more on we need products that are useful for grazing animals. So they have to work at much lower concentrations and they need to be amenable to slow delivery. And that has reached the stage where several groups of compound have been shown to be successful in trials of up to 30 days in length and a couple of them are now undergoing longer-term trials. Harry Clark is also one of six members of the Interim Climate Committee, which was established last month. The group will advise government as it prepares to introduce a Zero Carbon Act and a Climate Commission. One of the group's tasks is to advise on how agriculture could be folded into the emissions trading scheme, if the government decides that that's what it wants to do. He says agriculture as a whole is already in a good place to tackle the problem. If you took a sector approach within agriculture you'd argue that it's dairy that's increased and obviously sheep has gone down beef is relatively stable but but we've tended to always take a an agricultural approach um, where again we have to look very closely at the latest figures emissions from agriculture actually peaked in about 2005 and although you'll find a lot of forecasts of where they will go since I think the latest data show that emissions are now 3.5% below 2005 levels from the agricultural sector. So they're not on some trajectory that's inevitably rising. At the present time, they really haven't risen since 2005. However, a closer look at the emissions data from the greenhouse gas inventory shows that dairy is now responsible for about half of all agricultural emissions and 22% of New Zealand's total emissions. On top of that, an environment ministry report says dairy has a bigger impact on water quality compared to other land users. Last week at Dairy New Zealand's annual Farmers Forum at Mystery Creek, the environment was a hot topic. I'm a fourth-generation farmer um, from Taranaki and also involved in corporate farming, so obviously have a, you know, a very enduring and deep interest in dairy farming. So what do you make of some of the current pressures? Oh, I think there's a huge uh, 
pressure from outside the industry, you know, particularly from the, the people who are looking at the effect of farming. And, and you know, while we don't agree with all they say, I think often perception is their reality. So certainly my daughter is a, is a vegan and um, you know, my partner's daughter is a vegan, so I certainly get plenty of uh, information on, on what's happening out there and, and understand their point of view. So I, at the same time, know how much the industry has done in the last seven or eight years and certainly you know, amongst the corporate farming world there's a very strong effort to actually get things right. I'm Veronica Maduna and you're listening to an RNZ Inside programme about farming and climate change. Dairy New Zealand has put money towards research into water quality and what dairy farmers can do to reduce nitrogen runoff into rivers and streams on their farms. Four demonstration farms were set up in different parts of New Zealand and they found that initiatives that set out to improve water quality often also help to cut down nitrous oxide emissions. Bruce Thorold from Dairy New Zealand explains. And what we found there was that we were able to design systems that made you know, big gains in terms of nutrient loss to waterways, but all of those systems came at some sort of a cost in terms of productivity or profitability to the farms. The point of this was to demonstrate how the technologies worked at scale and and then as we uh, move into new farm systems, we've then got that kind of systems level understanding to help farmers make decisions. Because in many of these um, farmlets, we used a range of technologies to make big gains. Uh, We might have reduced inputs and built some infrastructure, used different cropping practices. So farmers now have a sort of a suite of proven tools that they can pick from to suit the circumstances that they're in. Can you translate some of that into mitigating emissions? So the focus is on water quality. Uh, on many of those farms we, we made gains in emissions, particularly through, or through nitrous oxide where we reduced leaching. And on those farms where part of what we did to reduce nitrate leaching was reduce the amount of feed going into the system, then that would have had benefits in methane production as well. In, in farming practices, we're looking at plantain, you know, we're looking at um, breeding cows that uh, produce less urinary nitrogen because they partition it differently. So there are two areas where if we made gains there, we'd, we'd pick up some nitrous oxide gains as well. The Minister for Climate Change, James Shaw, has been visiting dairy farms and he came to the Farmers Forum to talk about the work ahead for reaching carbon neutrality and what role farmers will take. The Productivity Commission has recommended that agriculture should come under the emissions trading scheme known as the ETS, but the government's coalition agreement sets out a phased approach with only 5% of agricultural emissions entering the scheme initially. The Productivity Commission did recommend that agriculture join the ETS, and they're not the only economic analysis that suggested that. Um, And, of course, we do have an interim committee looking at essentially what are the circumstances that would need to be met in order to in order to make that work. And I guess that's actually where a lot of the debate is because uh, you know, a number of people in the industry have said actually they're OK with that in principle, right? But is there a practical uh, way that takes into account, for example, all of the different things that happen on farm so that farmers can get credit for the good things that they do as well as for the kind of animal emissions that take place as well? And we don't yet have that bit right. And so that is really one of the big questions that we've got for that interim climate committee is to say well are the circumstances right and what exactly are they what would need to happen and and how fast do we think that is likely to happen and in my understanding 
that hasn't happened before. So there's been a presumption since 2002 that agriculture would join the emissions trading scheme eventually when the circumstances were right, but the circumstances are never terribly well defined. So one step along that way will be a review or reform of the ETS as it stands Yeah, so in parallel, we are looking at the emissions trading scheme. I mean, it, it, it does not actually do what it is supposed to do, which is to bring down greenhouse gas emissions, so it needs reform anyway. But we've also had a lot of feedback over the course of the last couple of years from participants in the scheme, whether that's industrial emitters or uh, agricultural organisations or foresters, to say that they find it difficult to deal with, that there are a number of challenges around the transparency of information, so it doesn't kind of work properly as a market, um, and also around some of the settings. And so clearly if you're going to have something like this, which does apply right across the whole economy um, and is going to affect prices and and who gets credits for what they do and, and who's got liability and so on, then you really have to get that right. The minister says he's been getting a clear message from farmers that if they were to come under the scheme, they would have to see rewards for initiatives that reduce or offset emissions. A lot of them actually say, yes, like we're happy to join the emissions trading scheme, but actually we want to make sure that um, farmers are, uh, have got the, the incentives and, and the, actually that they can control their own destiny within that. And their view is that when you apply the ETS to processes like Fonterra, then it sort of averages things out. And so there's no incentive for good farmers to you know, continue to make those investments, um, and there's no real stick for in people who are at the tail end either. And so they really want to say, look, you know, and I've had so many farmers who have said that, we actually want to get rewarded for the stuff that we're already doing. And that makes perfect sense to me. And the more people get rewarded for that, then the more people will do it, of course, right? And that's where you start to get real change. Andrew Hoggart runs a 500-strong dairy herd on his Manawatu farm. He is the vice president and climate spokesperson for Federated Farmers. And he says most farmers no longer argue if climate change is happening. They are more interested in how to deal with it. At a rough guess, I would say most farmers, if they're honest, probably recognise the fact that it's getting a bit warmer in winter. We seem to have a heap more once-in-a-hundred-year floods on a regular basis. They probably can see there is some change in the climate, but the opposition is probably more towards the ETS, the impacts it'll have, in my view, whether it's actually going to deliver what people want it to deliver. He says one of the main concerns in the farming community is that food production could move away from New Zealand to countries that worry less about their greenhouse gas emissions. If you're going to bring agriculture in there, I think we've got to get outside of the bubble of just looking at New Zealand and realise actually it's not just a, a little problem that exists only in New Zealand, only caused by New Zealand. It's actually a worldwide thing. And what we do in New Zealand has flow on unintended consequences for the rest of the world. New Zealand, by and large, for most of our agricultural produce, we are the, we've got the lowest footprint around. So if we're hell-bent on decreasing New Zealand's production, all we're going to leave is a market signal for someone somewhere else in the world to increase their production. And if they're doing it at a higher footprint, it's not going to deliver the outcome anyone's after of lower gases. And to me, the sensible thing is we need to ensure that we're producing as much food as possible where we can produce it for the lowest impact and discourage it from occurring where it will um, have the most impact. 
Federated Farmers supports the Productivity Commission's recommendation that the two agricultural greenhouse gases, methane and nitrous oxide, should be treated separately and be given different targets. Methane is a powerful greenhouse gas, and it makes up almost 80% of all emissions from agriculture. But it only stays in the atmosphere for about a decade. In contrast, nitrous oxide is long-lived, and it's also part of the nitrogen cycle that contributes to water pollution. The one that we probably can grapple with is the nitrous oxide emissions. Alison Hughes is a vet, ecologist, farmer and an advocate for sustainable farming. She farms in the Rotorua catchment, where a $40 million scheme supports farmers who want to reduce their use of nitrogen fertiliser and make changes to the way they use their land. She's gone from dairy heifer grazing to beef rearing, and she's also recently become head of environment at the state-owned farming business Landcorp, now known as PAMU. Our landscape has changed significantly. Uh, We've had a huge reduction in sheep numbers, quite a significant reduction in beef animals and a big move to dairy and a big move to irrigated dairy. So last 25 years, another 500,000 hectares of irrigated dairy, especially on quite vulnerable soils, using a lot more nitrogen fertiliser and a lot more nitrous oxide emissions as well as spillover to the environment. That's a pinch point that I think will have to be focused on and concentrated on because it's one of the big contributors to the increase of nitrous oxide from agriculture. And that is one thing that we can start changing. How? It's a range of things that we can do. The sort of practices that could happen there is a a far more precise and focused use of nitrogen fertiliser, so a lot less nitrogen fertiliser used, consideration towards dropping stocking rates. We still carry a lot of cows that still aren't quite fully fed per cow, so there's an option there for reduction in stocking rates of 10 to 20% on some farms, not all farms, but an option there to reduce cow numbers, to feed fewer cows better, to have less winter cropping. Winter cropping is quite a high contributor to the nitrous oxide emissions profile. As we take the pressure off that system, slightly fewer cows, fewer cows feed better, so we're not getting any less milk production per hectare, so profit isn't impacted from that respect. We also take the pressure off the winter feed gaps and the early spring feed gaps, so we don't need quite as much nitrogen fertiliser. We don't need those winter cropping practices to the same degree if we're housing all animals on farm. And we can potentially carry less young stock as well. So there's a matrix of things that can be done, and it's called a systems shift and a de-intensification. Now, there's a concurrent benefit there of reducing the nitrogen spillover to waterways as well. So there's a win-win. At the Auckland headquarters of Fonterra, the environment manager and lead on climate change, Francesca Eggleton, says it's already transitioning out of coal, with a goal to operate its factories with renewable energy by 2050. But 90% of Fonterra's emissions come from the farm. For on-farm in New Zealand, we have a carbon-neutral growth target, which means any milk growth that, that we experience, we, we've committed to do that in a way without growing our emissions. Um, Fonterra has committed to working with our farmers for all of them to have a farm environment plan. Uh, by 2025, we're working on a 1,000 for this year. And what that will really do is be working one-on-one with every farmer to help them come up with a plan, taking a holistic environmental approach to their plan on really optimising 
and making sure they're, they're not putting in any more nitrogen into the system than what they're already doing. And as for future growth... Where there is room for growth within environmental limits, we're supportive of that, but it has to be within the environmental limits. Critics would say that those environmental limits are already reached, if not even overstepped, in some areas. Where environmental limits have been reached, then yes, no more expansion and no more intensification. At Beef and Lamb New Zealand, carbon neutrality is already on the agenda and a key part of an environment strategy released this week. Environment Policy Manager Victoria Lamb. We have a lot of sheep and beef farmers who are already focusing on being carbon neutral at the gate. Uh, We've had a number of them come to us going, how can I do this? She rejects the Productivity Commission's suggestion that sheep and beef farmers aren't profitable and heading for a downturn. Even though the number of sheep in New Zealand has dropped by more than half, from 60 to 27 million, she says lamb production has only dropped by 8%, and that's because farmers have learned to produce more from less. And that in turn has been good for the climate, with emissions down by 30% since 1990. We have a large number of farmers who are interested in this. They have taken this on board. They understand the drivers behind uh, the need to reduce emissions, uh, and that's a global issue. Uh, we might be a very small country, uh, but it's the same atmosphere that everything's going into. So from that point of view, they're really, really conscious of, of that and they want to help. And sheep and beef farmers also are aware that uh, offsetting is also a potential. For example, we've just had a biodiversity report completed, which shows there's 1.3 million hectares of woody native vegetation on sheep and beef land. So in terms of a a farm, uh, many of our farmers, because they have those bush blocks uh, on on a a farm as a unit, may well be offsetting all or, or even more than all of their emissions already. Environmental groups want agriculture to be accountable for emissions that come off the farm sooner rather than later. But Andrew Hoggart says it's important to remember that farming is about producing food. We need to somehow hold those gases where they are, if possible reduce them, but certainly not let them get any higher, but somehow we need to feed all those people. And to me the sensible thing is we need to ensure that we're producing as much food as possible where we can produce it for the lowest impact. The program was written and presented by Veronica Maduna. The song in this program was written by Joe Ballard and set to music by Blind Willie Cowpad. If you'd like to discover some great programs to download, you can head to our page at rnz.co.nz forward slash insight, iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, Anusha Bradley investigates a new wraparound approach to domestic violence cases being trialled in two communities with some of the highest rates of family violence in the country, Auckland and Gisborne. I'm Philippa Tony, and that's all from Insight for today. Join us again next week.